many ice skaters on your uterus is a really good way of describing that one. I'm Michelle Brubaker, and this is N Equals One. In each podcast, we bring you the story of one project, one discovery, or one scientist. Today's episode is all about endometriosis. We talk to Dr. Sanjay Agarwal, the Director of Fertility Services at UC San Diego Health, who specializes in endometriosis. He talks to us about the latest in treatment and how the first new drug in a decade for endometriosis is becoming a game changer for patients like Monica Kane, who describes to us how she started having symptoms in middle school and what her journey with the disorder has been like. So I started having symptoms in 2006, like fall 2006. And then I was diagnosed with endometriosis in 2015. Wow. So it was it was a Nine journey to years. get there. Yes. It was a journey to get there. And then I've been seeing Dr. Agarwal since 2016. And a lot of tightness, like um, like somebody is repeatedly like knuckle punching you in the uterus or the ovaries, depending on <laughs> where it's coming from. Um, so Dr. Agarwal, nine years, she battled this, she suffered from this, not knowing what was going on, getting misdiagnosed at a v- very young age. Is this common in patients that you see? Yeah, it's not great, is it? It is common. It's unfortunately very common. And many studies have been performed looking at how long a woman has to suffer in pain before somebody mentions that word endometriosis and diagnoses them. And in in general, it's between six and 12 years of pain. And whether it's here or Europe or other countries, it's about the same. Mm -hmm. And it's a very unfortunate situation. It's believed that about half of that delay in diagnosis is because Patients sometimes are reluctant to talk about it with their physicians and healthcare providers. They don't want to bother them. They may think it's normal. Their mother may have had similar symptoms, so it's not always uh, thought of as a problem. It's thought it's sort of normalized. Half of the delay is also on the healthcare team side, not really picking up on it, not being aware about it, not asking them for it, uh, not screening for it. It's very unfortunate where, for example, an OBGYN could have patients in their clinic that they see every year and not know they're in pain. And neither side actually says anything. Really, it's, I often say to, to, to physicians when I'm lecturing them that you know our job description is to make a difference in the lives of our patients. And just because they don't complain about it doesn't mean we don't ask about it, especially when we know it's so common and there's a reluctance to have a conversation. Um, we should screen for it. We can do a much better job in looking for endometriosis because there's no excuse. What exactly is endometriosis and what causes mm. that severe pain? Well, endometriosis is a, is a condition where the lining of the uterus is found outside the uterus. It probably gets there in most cases during periods where most of the fluid goes out of the cervix, out of the uterus and is passed out of the vagina, but some goes backwards out of the tubes and then drops on the ovaries, the bowel, the bladder, etc., and it implants. And, and this seems to develop into endometriosis in about 10% of women. So this, what we call retrograde menstruation, 
is probably the cause of most cases of endometriosis. So what are the treatment options for endometriosis and uh, some newer treatment options yeah. that are on the market and available? Yeah, so as I often say to patients, there are basically surgical options, medical options, and complementary options. And so the surgical options are always laparoscopy, though we understand that laparoscopy doesn't cure endometriosis. And the other downside of laparoscopy is that the more surgeries you have, the more scar tissue develops inside, and then the pain becomes from the scar tissue and not the endometriosis, and that may lead to an early hysterectomy. So we do reserve surgical options for when medical options don't work well. And that's how the American Society of Reproductive Medicine really suggests that we practice. We consider endometriosis as a medical disease with surgical backup. The medical options often in the first place include birth control pills or some form of contraception because often periods hurt. So if we can shut down periods with continuous contraceptives, sometimes that helps. But if that first line management doesn't help, what happens too often is that women try another pill or another pill or another pill each time for about three, four months, and that just delays effective treatment. And there's no study to show if one pill doesn't work, that another one will. So they really need to move on with something that does help. And the FDA-approved options for endometriosis include uh, drugs that shut down estrogen, such as Lupron. Um, endometriosis is an estrogen-dependent disorder, so by shutting down estrogen, we can shrink lesions, suppress the pain. Lupron has been around for a long time. It suppresses estrogen. Another drug that's FDA-approved is Danazol, which is a testosterone derivative, not so commonly used today because the side effects can include hair growth, acne, shrinkage of the chest, deepening of the voice, so not surprising, not very popular. Another option is Depo-Provera, which is a contraceptive progesterone injection that actually is FDA-approved for endometriosis. And then the newest drug, of course, that became available uh, last summer is Oralissa. And Oralissa is actually a drug that was developed in San Diego. And it's a, it's a class of medicine called a GnRH antagonist. It's an oral GnRH antagonist, and it shuts down hormone production from the ovaries. And the nice things about Oralissa are, firstly, it's a pill. So if you don't like it, if you turn into a raging monster, <laughs> you can stop it, mm -hmm. not a problem. Secondly, it more gently suppresses estrogen than, say, Lupron. So the side effects probably are less. We don't have any head-to-head -head studies, but probably they're less. And thirdly, it's available in two doses. Hurrah, for the first product for endometriosis, one size doesn't have to fit all. So we have two doses, a low dose and a high dose, and we can decide on whichever is the best with the patient. And so we've had some very good success. It, it doesn't help everyone. Nothing helps everyone. Yeah. But we've had some patients, such as Monica, say, you know what, this has been revolutionary. So Monica, you were one of the first of Dr. Agarwal's patients to use this drug after it was FDA approved. What was that experience like for you? How does it make you feel? Are there any side effects? I love it. I if if there are side effects, they're so minimal that I don't notice them. So <laughs> I've really enjoyed it. I do find that it helps me. I have my energy back. I am not in pain all the time. Um, if I am in pain, then I can take ibuprofen, and that helps now because it's not such debilitating pain. Um, I used to be pretty much 
bedridden constantly because I was in a lot of pain. I never, I was not able to get up and move, you know, half the month or more, depending on the day. But now I can like get up and I've worked out every single day for the last three weeks. And I'm, it's, that's revolutionary. And I would not have been able to do it without Orlissa. It's a game changer in your life. It really is. Now, will Monica need to be on this drug long term? So we don't have a cure for endometriosis. So one of the um, challenges with all the medicines for endometriosis is that the use is limited. often by duration of approval, sometimes by side effects. So Orlissa at the low dose is FDA approved for two years, at the high dose for six months. And we'll have conversations at the end of that and see what we'd like to do. And mm-hmm. we'll discuss all the options available to us, including perhaps continuing the medicine off-label if it's safe to do so. But these are discussions we're gonna have down the road. I'm more interested in the here and now, mm-hmm. having her have a quality of life that's worth having. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'd rather she didn't worry about tomorrow. I want her to enjoy today. And so, yes, there's no cure. We may have to go from one medicine to another or extend the, the use of a particular medicine such as Orlissa, but we'll worry about that later. Let's enjoy the good life. Because, you know, too many women tell me they feel that endometriosis is stealing or has stolen their prime. And while we're enjoying it, let's enjoy it and let's continue it. You know, basically in the world of endometriosis, Vishal, I think there are three statistics that really bother me. One is the time to diagnosis. As we've discussed already, multiple years before being diagnosed, that's horrendous, actually, in this day and age. Especially in the, when we know that 80% of pelvic pain is endometriosis, 8-0. So to address that, we're trying to do something with awareness, We're just publishing a paper in the American Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology suggesting that we don't always have to do a surgery to diagnose endometriosis. You know, if the old adage is, if it looks like a duck, walks like a duck, or quacks like a duck, let's not put our patient through a surgery, a laparoscopy, to say it's a duck. Let's improve quality of life and not focus on where the lesions are. So that's one awful statistic. Another second um, statistic that really bothers me is that about 70% of women with endometriosis live with unresolved pain. And that's not great. Mm -hmm. So I'm really happy. It always makes my day when I come across a person like Monica that's doing well. You know, it's just a fabulous place to be. So I love that. And one of the things at UC San Diego Health that I think we're doing that's very unusual is with our endometriosis program. This is something that we developed back in 2010 through an institutional grant. And we are addressing endometriosis with a multidisciplinary program. I recognized back then that no one of us has all the skills necessary to take care of this complex disease. So we got together nutritionists, acupuncture, pain, psychology, bladder doctors, bowel doctors, expert surgeons, a whole group, a team to address endometriosis in a multidisciplinary way with different skills, different uh, strategies. And I hope that this model of care can lead to a better quality of life for our patients than they would get elsewhere. So I think this is a huge thing. There are centers even today in 2019 that are thinking of doing this. This is still an unusual situation, Uh, but I hope with time, more and more major metropolitan centers at least 
will have such programs available to take care of patients with endometriosis and, if, and reduce that 70% living in pain. This is awful. The, the third statistic that really bothers me comes from the CDC. Every year they publish the, the reasons why women have hysterectomies in the US by age. And the youngest age group is under 35. And every year for the group under 35, endometriosis is the number one reason a woman has a hysterectomy. And I think that's a failure of conservative management because I don't think women would choose to have a hysterectomy at that early age if they could avoid it. For something that uh, historically has been so misdiagnosed, it can lead to some very serious health issues and, it, and infertility is one of those. Can you speak Absolutely. on that? Absolutely, yes. So women with endometriosis can have a tougher time getting pregnant for a variety of reasons. There can be scar tissue in the pelvis, they, they may have to do with air quality or implantation of pregnancies. There are a multitude of ways. And the good news is there is that we have fabulous infertility care these days and we can overcome most of these things if necessary. But the other message there is for a young woman that has endometriosis that may not be ready for childbearing right now but maybe later, don't live your life worrying about the future fertility because you may get pregnant on your own without needing for, of help. So the worst thing I think is to spend year after year worrying about something that may or may not be. Um, if you have trouble, be proactive, seek help uh, and have it addressed. We have wonderful solutions in this day and age for fertility. The other thing we're recognizing, talk, talk about consequences of endometriosis, um, Michelle, is that women with endometriosis, and I may not have discussed this yet with you, Monica, but women with endometriosis may be more prone to other diseases in later life because this is a chronic inflammatory condition there are some data coming out showing that they may be more prone to rheumatologic abnormalities, heart disease in later life. So we're now looking at can we address endometriosis quickly and better and therefore reduce long-term or late consequences of this disease in later life. What do you see in the future? Well, I see lots of things in the future. I think we're only going to get better. Uh, for example, at UC San Diego, we're working on trying to shorten the time to diagnosis by doing a blood test to diagnose it. So patients don't have to have a surgery. You can just have a blood test in the clinic and have like a 95% certainty that they've got endometriosis and get on with the treatment. That would be fabulous. That would be a first. We're looking at nutrition with our colleagues in integrative medicine. We're looking at nutrition in endometriosis. Can we change the diet such that it decreases the inflammation in the bowel microbiome decreases the inflammation in the blood and improve pain and quality of life. That would be wonderful because women want to have some control over their pain, over their lives, and this would be a, a great way to do that with multiple health benefits. We're also looking at a treatment to try and improve the pain of endometriosis while a woman conceives or tries to conceive because currently all our medical options prevent or contradict pregnancy. So if a woman comes to us with endometriosis that's trying to get pregnant right now, we have to ask her, well, look, hold on. Do you want us to improve your quality of life or do you want us to help you get pregnant? Because we can't do both. And so we're looking at an, an option. It's an, inf, inf, it's an immune modulator to decrease the pain 
without interfering with fertility to let her get pregnant. And that would be a first too, because there is no such option currently. So really grateful for all the people that have supported our research. What would you say to women who were in your position as far as using your voice, um, being your own advocate, and knowing what's out there for treatment? I would say talk to your doctors and don't shut up to your doctors until you're better. Um, and, and stand up to them also because you are going to come across a time when you're going to have a doctor who's going to tell you what it is that you're feeling or what it is that you're trying to do. Or there's, there are going to be people who are going to say, you're not actually in pain. And that is going to be the most frustrating part. But just keep fighting back if your doctor won't listen to you. Find another doctor. I found Dr. Agarwal after 10 other doctors and Googling endometriosis doctors in my area. And it was the greatest thing that's ever happened where at first, you know, there's always going to be trial and error. So you also want to be patient when you are going to a new doctor because it will be easy to get frustrated with them and say, I've already tried this, but they need to knock it off their list. So be patient on that front, but still be open. If something's not working, say it's not working. If you're in pain, tell them you're in pain. Um, and the, young, the, the biggest part I would say would be actually to the younger girls when you are learning about your body learn what is normal and what isn't normal um, and know your own body because some people are just going to say oh it's just period cramps just go away when it's when it's something more and there is a lot of times I, I felt a difference of like regular cramps versus like endometriosis cramping mm -hmm. and just really listen to your body we are making progress there's no doubt about it we hope that tomorrow will be a lot better than yesterday and that's the way we look at life i want to sincerely thank dr agarwal for the insight and monica for sharing her personal story and thanks so much to all of you for listening to hear more podcasts like this one please visit health.ucsd.edu podcast